It's December 21st. Today in Colombia, the sun appears at 7.26 a.m. and sets at 5.19 p.m. That's nine hours and 53 minutes of daylight. We're still in Persephone days, a time when most plants cease all growth and life hangs in suspension. It's also the winter solstice, the day with the least amount of daylight and when the northern hemisphere of the earth is tilted its furthest away from the sun. This is it, friends, the core of the year, the heart of the season of darkness, the furthest point of inward retreat, the opposite of the green, spacious heart of summer with its bountiful light and growth. We pause here before the slow, incremental return of that light. We're sitting in the dark together. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. Join me as we once again branch out following the roots and filaments of teaching and connection here at the college. What is the place we allow for failure in higher education? How could we better understand and engage with failure in our work with students and in our professional lives? This is Instructional Ecology. Welcome back to the next in our series of failure stories for the season. What could be better for a season of darkness than a series of storytellers? Today, we're going to check back in with one of the originators of this season and hear more from him, both past and future. And on the shortest day of the year, a failure story reminds us that it's important to sit with people's experience and hear them out, not to rush to conclusions or to fix it before they've even understood what has happened. Once again, we sit with someone who has taken time to reflect and tell over their experiences to better understand what happened so that they can choose a different path to where they want to go. William Galston is an advisor in the School of STEM here at the college. Today, we'll hear better detail about his story of personal educational failure that he briefly touched on in season three, talking about the importance of failure in learning to learn. He'll begin by telling us his experience of failing out of university as an undergraduate and tell us how and why he started telling his failure story to young people, first at the Department of Juvenile Justice and now to students of all ages at MTC. This failure story highlights the weight of expectation from both the student's family and from the student himself. This is also a story about how failure arrives when a student hasn't chosen goals they fully understand or care about. We also take another look at a frequent topic this season, shame in the face of failure and what might help students who experience it. Join us now for our third failure story of the season. I am William Ghoston, and I am the academic career advisor in the School of STEM for Engineering, specifically at Beltline Campus. It depends to me on where the student is at, um, the way I tell the story, but it's generally uh, the thought process of how, you know, I was in high school, uh, even before high school. In elementary school, I always did well, always made A's and B's and stuff like that. And I never really studied. And then I got to middle school, same thing. Um, even in high school, got a little more challenging, but it was the same thing. And um, when I got to college, you know, 
I had developed those habits and stuff like that. But I was like, uh, this is going to be a breeze because it's always been a breeze. So my first year, you know, I was at USC my first semester. Did great. was on the dean's list, you know, and I was like, oh, I got this. I got this. And then I kind of went into my core courses and I realized I didn't have it. <laughs> so I just shared with them, like, if you don't maintain that focus, you can realize you really don't have what you think you have. Uh, but in spite of not having it, you know what I mean? And having to be on suspension or probation or whatnot, and then having to come to Midlands Tech to kind of, you know, walk through the associates program. And even with that, not even pushing the best foot forward, because I guess I felt a sense of disappointment because expectations were here, high, you know, you're supposed to go to, you were smart your whole life. You're supposed to go to USC. Why are you at Mill instead? Because, you know, it felt like I took a step back, but I ended up taking an alternate route and going to Midlands Tech. And, you know, it was a good experience. And then I went to South University, basically, uh, to get a bachelor's, bachelor's in business administration. And once I started the ball rolling, once the wheels started turning, I was like, okay, let's keep going. And I got my master's in business administration. And I took a little break. I mean, like, well, you know, maybe some things will pop up. But then I still did not access um, the level of career that I wanted to access at that time. So I went back to school for educational leadership, got a master's in that, you know, and it, it kind of leads me to the point where I'm at now as far as I'm trying to pursue my educational doctorate a degree. And I and I share that with students when I get to that point. I was like, you can look on my wall. I got two of those things. You know, even though I had failure early on, it kind of motivated me to keep going instead of just, you know, waddling in my failure. So when I tell them that story and I, I kind of let them know, like, in spite of your GPA, in spite of how difficult classes may feel they are right now, you still have the option and the ability to succeed because if I did it, you could do it. My brain's no bigger than yours. So, to return to um, your 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 moment at, at USC, you said it so well. You were like, "Okay, you know, I've got this," and then I didn't have it. <laughs> and then I think is 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 the moment. It was one thing, and then it was another. Are, are you still able to recall what that moment felt like for you, that sort of recognition that things are, they're not only not going well, but they're about to end. Do you, are you able to recall what that felt like? Uh, it was a sense of, I guess, like a lot of disappointment and somewhat of I guess a, a amount of feeling like depressed because I felt like, man, I done let people down and I'm letting myself down. Um, it wasn't based off, you know, me going to parties and, you know, it wasn't based off me hanging out late. It was just some personal, internal, familial things that were going on and kind of stressed me to the point to where, and, and a disinterest. Um, surprisingly, my major was engineering and I advise with engineering now, but I did not like, you know what I'm saying, the classes and I was falling asleep and the lack of interest. And once I started seeing that, um, 
I was like, uh, this is not going to work. And then I came to the realization, you know, even at the appeal process, I was like, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to work. And I just have to find, like Robert Frost would say, the road less traveled. And um, went in that other way. And it was still like, you know, I was, I guess it was a level of not ashamed of getting my degree here at Midlands Tech. It was just like, I backtracked and I felt bad. I didn't even walk at the graduation when I got my associates because I felt like, man, I got my associates, but I was supposed to do this in four years and I done just messed everything up. So I, I was at a point of like, man, what am I doing? You know, felt kind of depressed and disappointed. So feeling that, even though sometimes that takes people in reverse, that kind of pushed me forward and kind of changed my mentality. But that that feeling was a it's one that I, you know, when I think about it, I even could feel how I was feeling there now. I'm just kind of like, dang. You kind of like <laughs> you you had you had the the thing set up in front of you and you kind of just like blew it to an extent. And I'm wondering your ability to recall the intensity of that emotion and it's and it's it's pervasive, like you said, it just it's depression, it's just everything is colored mm-hmm. when it was happening for you. And I wonder what kind of insight that allows you um as an advisor, when you have the student sitting in front of you who's in that same space for different reasons, different circumstances, or maybe sometimes they are a little similar, what does that um, open up for you when you're able to recall that feeling? How are you able to respond to their um, their situation? I guess it makes me more empathetic uh, because I've actually been right there. Like, I'm not just talking about somebody who's been there. Like, I'm talking about myself. I was right there in those exact same seats, in the exact same position. I tell them all the time. I was like, when I was at USC, I was on uh, probation, then suspension. I said, I came to Midland State, did good a little bit. I was on, I had to do a satisfactory academic appeal here because of just dragging my feet and not being consistent. You know, I've been to other places. I went to a master's program where I was on uh, academic because you have to, you know, you have to maintain a 3.0. And if you're less than 3.0, you know, I was like at a three, a 2.78 or something like that. That killed me, you know, out of that program. So I was like, I've been there in every level from, from undergraduate to, to being at technical college to being at, uh, also being at a, a a master's program. So I experienced it really on every educational level post K-12. So it kind of allows me to have that level of relatability to where if I say, you know, and it, and it also provides veracity to the things that I tell them because I've done it. So you can't really say, well, you don't know. Yes, I do because it's happened to me, you know, so. I think that allows me to be effective even more so at my job because I've had those same experiences and still are dealing with some of those same experiences because I'm still in school. That's what I wonder is um, 
you know, for, for those of us that, you know, especially when we really struggle as young people, as time goes on, you know, we continue to turn it over in our minds and we get it maybe a different relationship to it from the point. I mean, because like you say, you know, you've got those two degrees on the wall behind you. You're in process for another one. Um, so what has that early failure taken on for you? How is that now a part of your life? Um, as you look back? I think it's it's always a story to tell, something to share. Like my nieces, nephews, if I ever have children, my children in the future, um, a lot of the young people that I, I worked with at DJJ when I used to work there, um, I communicated that same story with them. Um, and just in speaking to people in general, you know, that, that I know that are interested in coming back to school and stuff like that, because I have a, a member of my church. She was interested in coming back to school, but she felt like, you know, it's been a while, blah, blah, blah. And I basically told her, I was like, it doesn't matter how long it's been. Um, if you're willing to put that effort and time in and kind of share my some of my story, like, you know, the failure that happens, you know, it happens to us all um, just in different ways at different times, but it just allows me to be motivated um, with what I'm pursuing to do. And it's also something that I can always share with somebody else about how they can overcome failure and use it as a motivating factor and don't be like, oh, I'm gonna forget that I failed. No, I'm gonna still remember that I failed because now I can share that with somebody else that I failed. Look what I'm doing now. You could do the same thing. And failure is a is more of a lesson than just something that's gonna set you back. And by storytelling, I mean, stories become public. I mean, we might not choose all of us to tell them on a podcast, but mm. um, but you're completely willing to. Um, for you, you're not interested in hiding it or, um, or like you said, forgetting about it. This is something that is very active in your life and your memory. And I'm wondering, as you tell that story, what do you find it does for your students? As What do you see happen or what do they say to you? What does it open up for them? I feel like they kind of like get out of that space where they're feeling like they're, you know, this is the, this is it and it's over for me right now. Um, because I feel like having that um, story is so valuable because everybody doesn't have it, you know, and, and, it, and it allows them to see like, okay, he done this, you know what I'm saying? He didn't have some of the resources that we got now as far as, uh, Google and all these other, you know, chat, GTP and AI and all this other stuff that you could utilize <laughs> to help you accomplish some of the things you want to accomplish. So if he could do it, you know what I'm saying? And what, what's prohibiting me from doing the same thing? It's going to take hard work and dedication. You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you, if you kind of behind on stuff, but you're going to have to be consistent. And I, and I think when they hear that story from me, um, when they're dealing with whatever they're, you know, because you have some that'll come in, it's a GPA thing. Some of them come in. It's a, you know, a teacher thing. Some of them come in. It's a family related issue. Something's going on that kind of set them back and being able to share with them. Yeah, I had issues family related. Yeah, I had issues with, you know, the teachers or instruction, how it was given and stuff like that. Um, it just, like I say, it brings a sense of relatability. So they were like, even though you're my advisor in a professional sense, I can relate to you as a person. And I think that's what allows the effectiveness of 
you know, in any job, if you could do that, I, would, I think that allows you to be more effective. As I listen to more failure stories, uh, each one, you know, has its own particular spin. And one of the things that that I hear so loudly in yours is the weight of expectation that you felt as a young person um, by others, by your family and community and for yourself. You were certain, like you said, it things had always been easy and suddenly they weren't. And I think that's actually important, right? When we discover, oh God, I thought I wanted to do something and I don't. And that's that's maybe a little different from, I thought I wanted to do something and I can't. Mm-hmm. But I wonder as we think about failure, and especially as you talk to so many people and their expectations for you, what have you discovered about the relationship of expectation and the impact of failure on a person? But I realize, and I say this a lot to a lot of students, that there is no specific timeline in which you have to get things done. I think the weight of traditional expectations of graduate from high school at 18, go to college, graduate at 22, go two more years, graduate with your master's 24. Oh, you should be prepared to get married and you should have 2.5 kids and you should have a dog and a cat and a white picket fence and all that by the time you're 26 to 28 years old. I think that those type of expectations are so unrealistic. But people have held to that because they feel like if I don't do it that way, then I fail. You know, and then just reminding them, okay, you don't have to do it that way to be a success. Um, a lot of these people, some of the richest people in the world, like a Bill Gates, he dropped out of college. You know, you got other people, you know, people that have been successful. You know, Jay-Z was a drug dealer and he's he's like a billionaire or close to a billionaire now. You know, you have a lot of people that are examples of, yes, I was doing stuff that people would see as failure, but I was still able to rise above that failure. And Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. And now he, you know, he he sold his his stake in the Charlotte Bobcats for over three billion dollars, even though he only invested three hundred and seventy five million. You know, so you can be successful, though people could think, you know, you know, you, you're not doing it that way. You know, always I, I'll even harken back to because I, I remember earlier. um. I don't remember when it was, I think a year or two ago here at Memphis Tech, there was a woman, she was about 90 something years old, graduated with her associates. So I tried to let them know like, hey, you know, in the, in the time that you do things is the time that it's supposed to be done. And at the end of the day, it's your name on that degree, it's your name that's going to be on whatever you do. So even though other people try to push you to say, oh, you need to do this, do that, do that, it's eventually your name tied to it. You know, and then I get, you know, people might say it's morbid to say, but I get real with them because I say when you when you die, that headstone got your name on it. It doesn't have anybody else's name. So it's throughout life. Everything you do is about what you're going to do. And you can't let somebody else's expectations determine what you decide to do with the rest of your life. It makes me see. um the sense of failure a little differently because you, you you mentioned Robert Frost, the road not taken or less traveled by. Um, 
you're sort of advocating that failing at other people's expectations perhaps is not the same as failing the thing that you truly want to do. It sounds like you, perhaps part of your failure as a young man was you were on a track that didn't wasn't meaningful to you. It wasn't something that you actually really discovered that you you should be doing. Is there a difference in that? Do you think? I think so because sometimes you you pursuing things because somebody might say this is what you need to pursue, or you you're thinking about the financial ramifications of uh, what you want to do. Because I thought you know. Nobody really pushed me to engineering, but I knew my granddad did engineering. And I was like, oh, you can make a lot of money be an engineer. And I was like, oh, money, money, money. Even even ignoring the fact that my mom was telling me, hey, you need to go to school for education because you know how to deal with young people. You know what I'm saying? She had told me a while ago, I didn't, I didn't really take it into account because I was like, oh, I want to stay on the route that I'm. But I eventually ended up master's in education now. And being successful in an educational type arena just because that was really my true calling. And you don't find out that stuff even when you're 18, when you're 22. You know what I'm saying? When you're 26, you don't find out some of that stuff till trial and error and experience and failure. Like I I watched the NBA playoffs and I was watching where uh, they was asking um, Giannis. He's one of the... uh, supposed to be best player in the league. And they lost in the first round to the Miami Heat. And they asked him, did he see the season as a failure? And he was just saying, you know, he didn't really see it as a failure. He seen it as an opportunity to get better from what happened. Yes, they would have liked to go further. Yes, they would have liked to win the championship. But he says only one person wins the championship every year. One team wins every year. So you can't say I just failed just because I didn't win the ultimate thing at the end of the year because nobody wins every year, you know? So um, just thinking like that, you know, is, is a, is the mindset that I try to have because I feel like, you know, as long as I'm putting my best foot forward every day, I'm not failing. You know, I may not be at the pinnacle of everybody else's expectation. I'm not, I may not be making uh, $200,000, $300,000 a year, but I feel like I'm successful at what I'm doing right now. So that makes me a successful person. That doesn't mean I'm a failure just because you might be making all that money and I'm not hardly making that. As long as I'm doing what I can and being the best version of myself at what I do, then it's successful. And I think, showing and sharing with students that that you can be successful um, regardless of what others' expectations of you are, because that's their expectations. It's expectations you have of yourself and it's expectations of other people. And if you're meeting your expectations, then you're successful. Like that's that's sort of the uh the enlightened place that that all of us try to get to, right? To mm-hmm. see our our failures as learning experiences. Um, But it takes a while to get to that place. Very few of us, especially as young people, have that spiritual Mm -hmm. discipline, right? To say, ah, well, you know, Um, like, for example, uh, you know, a basketball player that's able to say, ah, next year, as opposed to, ah, you know, because it is disappointing. So I'll ask you again a question that we began to talk about last season. Um, Because 
when you have a failure of the kind you experienced where the path was, you were like, okay, this is not for me. I'm I'm not going to be an engineer. There is some loss to that, even if it's might be for the best. Yeah. That's a shame. It, it's hard to be told no. It's hard to have a door close, even if it's for the best. So I, I wonder, um, since our last conversation, um, have you had any other thoughts about what is the place for grief and loss in higher education? We know that there is loss in higher ed and that and with the attendant grief. And when we first talked about it, um, none of us really had an answer for that. The answer was, there isn't really one. We expect them to take it outside. As you, if you've turned it over, do you, do you have any further thoughts on that? Or are you still sort of turning over that question? I think there should be a place, even more so, maybe even a physical place and a time where, you know, where a student or staff or faculty feel like they can come together and like just have those type of conversations. I I have a lot of students that make advisement appointments or they come to drop-ins just to talk, even though they've been advised. Sometimes they'll come, oh, I need help with the class. And then we'll dig deeper and just start talking about other things going on. Or they'll, you know, sometimes they'll contact me and be like, hey, I need your help with this, that, and the other. Or they just want to have that communication um, with somebody who's open with them. And I feel like that type of space, like a fit, and I don't know if any higher ed place has that kind of physical space where you can go and you're like, man, I'm dealing with such and such as far as handling situations instead of just going to the advisement office just to talk to your advisor. Or you could kind of gather with people that are dealing with like things or have dealt with like situations. And y'all could just talk and kind of come up with ideas of how can we uh, better address these situations where we've you know, we lost this opportunity or we couldn't get into the engineering program because our math scores weren't high enough or we didn't make it to be transferred over to Dollarmore because our GPA was like a point and a half off. Um, but what, what, how can we talk about these things and kind of let people know like, okay, that might not be that route for you, but you could still get to where you want to go through another route. You know, and and I and I do think it, it would be wonderful to implement some things like that if we had like a day where everybody say, okay, let's let's come together if you're struggling with stuff, you know, so people could feel like it's an opening, not feel like they have to, you know, kind of hide and be reserved about it. Because as you mentioned earlier, it took me a while to actually share the failure story. Um I was a youth president at my church and that was like the first time I openly shared it with people because we had like a youth uh, banquet for graduation and stuff like that. And I openly shared that story for the first time, really. And um, that kind of released a lot that was built up um, just knowing that, okay, it happened in the past and to move on from it. So having a space like that where you kind of sit down, talk to people, talk to someone about it, and it may not leave that room. You know, if you want to do it like that and just have those conversations so you feel like, OK, somebody is right there with me. Somebody understands me. Somebody knows what I've gone through and they've gone through the same thing, too. So I, I feel like that's necessary, even 
you know, since COVID and all the other stuff, interaction has been limited over the last two or three years. Um, so having more of that space would cause people to come out more and be more engaging. And it may alleviate some of those stressors that they have. And you never know, that could help with grades coming up. Uh, that could help with enrollment and all kinds of stuff and people being more successful. Because now I have a space where I can actually unburden myself about the things that's going on with me. Remember in our last conversation, uh, this led us to using the word shame. There's a lot of shame in higher education and, and at every level, right? I mean, students are worried and ashamed about their progress, but so are faculty, right? So are staff, so are administrators. Nothing is ever quite good enough. There's some sort of mindset, I think, that we've inherited from academia. It says, you know, no matter what you've done, there's someone that's done it better and more. And you are somehow fallen short. And I think the word for that is shame, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like what you're saying is, what could we do to counteract shame? Mm -hmm. What could we do to resist that feeling? Because shame leads us to hide, right? You know, mm -hmm. that's the point of shame is you're supposed to slink off. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're not supposed to proudly say, which is why in academia, people often, I think, get in trouble for falsifying their CVs, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because they don't want to reveal that they didn't finish a degree or whatever, whatever the thing is. That's something I hope you'll keep thinking about. Um, is any other thoughts on resisting shame here at MTC that you think that we could we could start working toward? I just think that um, trying to get an overall understanding of that it's a natural occurrence. Like shame is natural. Like it's going to happen. Like you're going to be ashamed of certain things, but it's just not letting that shame overtake the rest of your life. You know, I feel like that's very important to, to realize, okay, yeah, I'm ashamed. Yeah, that happened. What am I going to do next? And not dwell on the shame. Because if you dwell on it, then it becomes this thing and you're like, oh, I did this and then it's in the back of your mind and you're never able to move past it. And I feel like that's what's helped me move past the fact that, you know, I had those failures. Um, just direct, directly facing it head on. And I think that that kind of helps you to, you know, to achieve that next level of, okay, I, this happened. Now what's next? How am I going to move past it? Am I going to dwell on it? Am I going to get better for it? One of the things I think I'd like the season to do is, um, you know, we'd love to talk about student success at the college. That's our mission, right? Is mm -hmm. to give students what they need, help them succeed. But we don't, maybe we don't talk about failure enough. You know, maybe we could, how can we talk about success if we don't have failure? And of course, I think the thinking is, well, let's not talk about the bad, ugly stuff, right? We just want the positive. Well, we kind of lose a lot. So what would you say for you, maybe, you know, in, in how you observe our students? Um, what do we need to talk about failure as we talk about student success? Like, what do you think we could do to make that more part of the conversation? Like you say, to make it more normal, to make it more less shameful, more a matter of fact, it happens. We need to deal with it so we can help them move on. What do you think? I think when they see 
certain people, like when they see certain faculty uh, share that story, like our friend before TJ was sharing, or when they see like some of the administrative staff come in and they might say or something with them, they're like, oh, where you're such and such, you're over this department or, you know, you're over that department and you were talking about how you failed or stuff like that. That might even make it um, more genuine to them because now they say even these higher up people who are over the people we deal with every day, they've also failed. And it kind of brings a real a greater reality to the situation. And like, if you could get to where you got to and fail, then, you know, it's nothing for me to be too much overwhelmed with because I could succeed too. Like I, I love, um, what's it called? All oh, the places you would go, Dr. Seuss. He tells you, you got shoes, you feed in your shoes and brains and your heads and stuff like that. You could do anything that you choose. You know, that's one of my favorite books. And I tell you, like, you got the same capacity for success as anyone else. You just can't allow yourself to be drowning in your failures. Um, and then when we're able to throw life jackets out there, or we're able to push folks, lifeboats and we can rescue some of them and show them, say, hey, you, you're not by yourself. You know, we, we can we can all get through that. And and just knowing that failure and shame are going to happen is a part of life. And not feeling like you're not supposed to fail. You're not supposed to be ashamed. Um, let them know that, yeah, it's, it's going to happen because those are natural human emotions and it's life that we live. But we just got to overcome and pursue um, the next level of success. It's a life we can't have success without failure. Because if we never fail, you know what I'm saying? We would never really experience success. So kind of sharing that with them and having other people, you know, sometimes step in and say, hey, you know, I'm such and such. And I failed like this, you know, and if I did it, you know, it's going to happen to us all and we can do better and move better um, and become better for it. I've been turning over in the back of my mind while we were talking your idea of this, this new space to talk about failure and it's not advising and it doesn't sound like it's counseling counseling is a piece of that right that's where you go privately one-on-one to investigate uh, whatever the complex challenges may be happening so counseling isn't so you can't talk about failure and advising you can't talk about failure and counseling but in the space you're imagining it's neither of those things who is in that space with the students who do you imagine? I guess some people that they would interact with the most. It might be some faculty there. It might be some staff. It might be other students there. You know, like the student, you know, they have the student board. Um, some of them might be in there. Um, just people that, I guess, that bring a sense of relatableness with those students and just able to talk to them, okay, I don't have on my business tech employee hat. I have on my person listening to you. I want to hear what you got to say hat. And, and I'm going to give you that sort of advice, that sort of guidance. And even students may have, may be able to share something with even us that are in that space that can help us. I've talked to students before and students said stuff to me. And I was like, you know what? That really did something for me. So just having that type of, you know, those people that are willing to be in that type of situation, because everybody ain't going to do it. They, they, people won't, 
everyone to succeed, but everybody ain't going to be in that interactive, close-knit space because some people just don't, you know, people are different, different strokes, different folks. But if you can formulate a group of people that say, hey, I'm interested in doing this, I'm interested in being a part of this to help our students and to help our staff and faculty and everyone kind of deal with those stressors of failure and and shame and stress and loss, um, I think that could be beneficial, especially when I don't believe there's no one else in higher ed doing that. It could be the uh, great ground for something like that. It sounds like a failure incubator. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the opposite. Those words are opposites, right? I mean, incubators are supposed to build and failure mm-hmm. is supposed to be about endings. But what if there were an incubator? I honestly, it, does the word mentoring fit a little bit here? It's a kind of mentoring, but mm-hmm. it's very specific, right? It's not like I'm going to mentor you in a, a trade or a profession um, or in a job path. I'm going to mentor you through failure. Mm. What an interesting idea. Mm. I hope we can talk. I hope you'll keep thinking about it. And maybe you and I can check back with each other another time. Because Mary Helen and I have gotten really interested in this. And we think that this could be the kind of thing that other schools, they can have these same kind of conversations in their spaces and kind of turn over what, because each school is a little different. Community Mm -hmm. college might be different from Research ones, I think failure to research one is horribly fraught, horribly fraught. And I, they really don't address it at all, as you know, from USC, right? You yeah, know, they're just yeah. like a, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts at the moment on failure and success, failure and learning, or hopes for the future about what we could do to support our students about this inevitable part of life. I just hope like we can kind of, I guess, and it's going to be up to them to actually want to push forward, but kind of, I guess, every day, because we all, you know, I'm not in the classroom with some students. I don't see anything until they come to advise me. So sometimes if you're in the class, people who are in the classrooms, you know, kind of encourage the student that, hey, you may be making such and such right now, but there's still time, there's still um, hope, um, there's still an opportunity if you put this, this, and this in place. So I guess just motivating, just being positive motivators, you know, and being responsible for allowing students to know that, hey, you know, okay, you may not be doing now, you have another opportunity. So that they don't feel like this is it. I tell them a lot of times, I say, you know, when we die, education is still going to be here. Schools are going nowhere. So don't feel like just because right now you haven't met those goals, you can't beat them later down the line if that ends up being the situation. Um, But just keeping them kind of motivated and encouraged, like, hey, you know, you got this, man. You know, young young lady, you can do this, you know, and, and just keeping them, you know, lifted, so to speak, so they don't fall into the doldrums of, uh, I'm, I'm, I just need to give up. That's the hard part, when not to give up and when you should give up on one thing mm-hmm. and then start another. Mm-hmm. 
um, having that wisdom to say, you know, it's okay that that didn't work out. I will choose a different path. Um, I think that's great. And that's the work of advising, right? Is to help them find that path, is to work through all of that. I just love our time together. I'm, I'm so appreciative of your willingness to um, to get into these these issues with me. Um, and thank you for asking. Absolutely. Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, I, um, <laughs> this is uh, I want to know, and you want to tell, and we want to think together. I don't think it gets any better than that, right? Um, Absolutely. That's uh, that's the call. A literal place for failure at a college. That's a new idea and very suggestive for many possibilities. What do you think? What would you make of a place for failure in higher education? Who would be in that place? What would students do there? What might be awaiting them? We're hoping that conversations like the ones we're having this season could lead us to ask these questions to explore possibilities. If you are in our community, reach out and join those of us talking together. Join us next time when we pull our focus from micro to macro perspective on failure at the college. We'll talk with former vice provost and chief academic officer, Diane Carr, about thinking about failure at the institutional level. What can we add to our thinking when we ask questions of our administrative leaders about how they observe, understand, and respond to failure at the college? We'll continue to add our perspective from the top of the hierarchy with our conversation with Diane. Join us next time at the beginning of a new calendar year, a new semester, and deeper into the web of our community. We at the CTE are wishing you a restful holiday break and a joyful new year.